You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 48, kind of on the back end, one more week of this series, Meant for Good. One of the uh, great theologians of the 20th century, kind of known for his pithy, short, one-line proverbs. Let me give you a few of my favorites. The future, eschatology here, future ain't what it used to be. Love is the most important thing in the world, but baseball is pretty good too. Amen. We need some baseball right now. Uh, It's deja vu all over again. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. And of course, the, the famous, most probably famous one that all of us have used, it ain't over till it's over. The great theologian Yogi Berra, who at the end of his days said, I never said most of the things I said. Um, it ain't over till it's over. Jacob is at the end of his life in Genesis 48. And we're gonna kind of get him to see Jacob really, believe it or not, at his best. I think it's kind of fitting that we're coming to this passage on Father's Day. He has not exactly been the father of the year, right? He's done some really bonehead things as a dad. But what we're going to see here is he is going to finally step up to the plate as a father and a granddad. And just like Darth Vader, he's going to redeem himself in the end, all right? Doesn't matter the first couple years, but at the end, he's going to be a good dad and a good granddad because it ain't over till it's over. Uh, And I'm sure... I'm sure he had regrets. I'm sure there's things in the past. I'm sure there are things he would do differently, which is like all of us, right? We're just trying our best with what we know and try not to destroy those who come behind us. Uh, but the, the encouragement from this passage, I think, uh, or at least it was for me, is no one gets it right completely. But there is an opportunity to change trajectory because it ain't over till it's over. Uh, and so we're going to get a glimpse today of Jacob on his deathbed. I mean, in, in modern vernacular, hospice has been called in. The family is gathered, and he's going to address his sons, his grandsons, and he's going to do things and say things and act in ways that would have been nice if he did it seven years earlier, but it's better late than never. And for us, the, the encouragement is, look, you don't need to wait till the family has been called in, till you're on that final bed to kind of put some of these things in our life. And it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. What it does matter is what you do tomorrow because it ain't over until it's over. And so that's where we're gonna, we're gonna go today. We're gonna move pretty quickly um, because I don't have a ton of time. And I know some of you are like, well, I'm not a dad. I'm not a, I'm, you know, it's, this is not just dads. I think there's some great application for dads. But if you're a mom, you're a grandparent, you're a 20-year-old, you're a 16-year-old, wherever you're at, these, it's, it, you don't wanna wait is the point. You don't want to wait till the end and say, oh, I wish I would have, because one day we're all going to be there. And so better to start now some of these things. So I'm going to highlight four things from our text today. We're going to cover Genesis 48 and 49, so we're going to be moving pretty quick. And where we kind of picked up or we left off is is now the family has been in Egypt for 17 years. It's kind of a 17-year gap, right? Joseph gets to see his daddy. Everything's great. We kind of have a 17-year gap, and it's at the end. Jacob is 147 years old, and, and he realizes that the time is short, so he's going to bring the boys in, his sons, 
his grandsons, and he's gonna address them one last time. And it's, what he says is significant for them, but it's also significant for the original audience of this, of this book. Remember, the original audience is not Jacob and his sons. They, Moses wrote this book 400 years later. The original audience is a group of people who are wandering around the desert. It's the descendants of Jacob. Jacob came down to Egypt with 70 folks. 400 years later, after Moses and Charlton Heston show up, there's two million of them. And they're wandering through the wilderness now, headed back to the promised land. And that, this is gonna be significant for them, especially because it's gonna tell them where their land is. It's gonna tell them a little bit about their future. It's gonna remind them about Jacob, their forefather, right? And so let's just jump in. We'll hi- highlight some things and we'll work our way through. Verse one, after this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. And Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. So Joseph hears from the docks, time is short. You better go see your daddy now. He takes his two boys. His boys are in their 20s now. They're, they're not little guys. They're in their 20s. And they go and see his dad one last time. And as they tell him, your son Joseph's here, something in him, he has enough energy and he's able to sit up. And, and Jacob said to Joseph, he reminds him, he said, God Almighty, El Shaddai, the great mighty one. He appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. He blessed me. He said, behold, I'll make you fruitful. I'll multiply you. Has God done that? Yeah. He started one guy. Now he's got 70 family members. 400 years later, it's gonna be 2 million. He said, I was, he's, he's come through on that. And he's gonna give me a company of peoples and he's gonna give me the land, your offspring, as an eternal possession. This is why, by the way, the land is so significant to the nation Israel. This is why there is a nation Israel, ultimately. There's no rational reason that the nation of Israel should, should be there, except for the fact that God has said, I've given you the land as an everlasting promise. That's why they're there. You don't find the Hittites. There's no Philistines. You don't see any more Edomites, but you have Israel, right? Because God promised them the land and that they would be fruitful. So he continues. He's gonna tell them two things. Number one, he's gonna tell them, I loved your mama, verse seven. And it crushed me when she died. But here's the big one he tells them. He said, now, your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. They're mine now. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine. As Reuben and Simeon are mine. And the children that, they, that you fathered after them, they shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. In essence, if another child is born, they're gonna be part of Ephraim and Manasseh. They're not gonna be part of Joseph. Here's what's going on. It's a little confusing here, right? Uh, what Joseph, Jacob is saying is, your, your sons are no longer your sons. They're my sons, right? They were my grandboys. Now they're my boys. They are on par with Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Naphtali and Issachar and Dan and Benjamin. They're one of my boys. And what's going on here is Joseph is getting the birthright, right? It usually goes to the firstborn. Remember the birthright? You get to be in charge of the clan. You're kind of the head of the clan, but also you get a double portion, The double portion that Joseph is getting is that Ephraim and Manasseh are now part of the deal and they're gonna get, they're gonna be one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So when they go back to the land, remember this is the original audience, it's people wandering in the wilderness, there's gonna be land for them, there's gonna be a portion. So when you get to a map like this that kind of shows you the 12 tribes, right, except that this one doesn't show you Simeon because Simeon is a little bit of a circle right in the middle of Judah on the left there. But all the other ones, you see all these names, Dan, Reuben, Gad, Issachar, Zebulun, you know, Asher way up top, Naphtali. What do you see? You don't see a tribe of Joseph there, do you? But you do see Manasseh and Ephraim. 
They're part of the deal now. That's their portion. So Joseph is being blessed because his boys are gonna be now part of the deal. That's, that's, that's what's going on here, okay? Verse eight. Gotta find myself again. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, now he's blind now. He can't see nothing. He's blind as a bat. He says, who, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they're, they're my sons. You know, the guys you're just talking about, Manasseh, Ephraim. They're, they're sons, my sons. And he said, bring them to me that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near and he kissed them and embraced them. So he gives them one last hug and, and a grand, granddaddy hug, granddaddy kiss. Love you boys, proud of you boys. Excited that now you're my boys. And he's about to bless them, right? Uh, but it, so Israel says to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. I said, I'm, so, I'm so, basically saying, I'm so thankful that God let me see. Not only you, I get to see your kids. And Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. So he's getting ready for his dad to bless his boys. Now the details here are real significant. So follow along here. It's kind of cultural, but so, so Joseph takes them. He takes Ephraim, who is his younger son. He takes Manasseh, who is his older son. And he, and he organizes them in a, in a specific way. So let's pretend I'm Joseph, right? Coat of many colors. Here we go. Head of Egypt. I put my second born son right here on my right. That's Ephraim. I put my first born son on my left. That's Manasseh. And you are Joseph. I'm Jacob, right? So this is Jacob. This is Joseph. Here is Ephraim. Here is Manasseh. Manasseh is my first born. And he is on my daddy's right. Because the right side is the place of honor. Right? The idea is, okay, so Jake, Jacob is going to bless the one to his right. He's going to bless the one to but he's going to give a double portion here. That's the idea. That's what, how Joseph is organized. That's the way you do things. Right? And so Israel stretches out his hand, his right hand, and he does the old switcheroo on him. Instead of doing what you'd normally do, right hand on Manasseh, left hand on Ephraim, he goes, whoop, and he crosses arms. And he puts the right hand on the younger. He puts the left hand on the older. Where's the place of blessing? On the right hand. The right hand is my place of blessing. That's what's going on here, right? And we'll come back to it in a minute. But what he does then is he blesses and he prays for them. He blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who redeemed my life from all evil, bless these boys. And let them, and in them may thy name be carried in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. He does something real simple, real profound, something that he probably should have been doing all along for 140 years, but he does it here because it ain't over to it's over. And I think it's something that we need to, in a simple and profound way, model. He prays and he blesses his boys. He's praying and blessing his boys. And as I'm thinking about this, this week, and it's kind of, just what does this mean for us? How does this apply? You know, we're not real firstborn, secondborn kind of things in our culture. But what struck me is how weak and just slack and lax that I am in my life often for to doing this to my boys and my girl. I mean, do I pray for them? Yeah. But as much as I should, no. As regular as I should, no. I mean, it's, and, and often when we talk about prayer, let's be honest in the church. We talk about prayer, we know prayer's good, we know we should do it, but the reality is this, there's just a lot of guilt when we talk about prayer because we all know I don't pray like I should. And, and that's kind of the first wave that hit me as I'm thinking about this, man, great that he prayed at the end, wish he would have prayed all along, but then I'm reminded, hey, it ain't over until it's over. It's great that he prays at the end, but 
Lord willing, I'm not at the end. So I don't have to have regret. I, don't, I can't change what happened yesterday and the day before, but I can change what happens tomorrow. Can I? Can't you? And if you're a great granddad, granddad, dad, almost dad, single dude, never want kids. I'm 12 years old. Don't even think about that. Whatever you're at on that spectrum. Or mom. Uh, you can start now, right? Whether it's praying for future kids or praying, maybe your wife's pregnant and you're praying, or maybe you're, 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 aunt, you know, you're an aunt and your, your niece is pregnant. I, I don't know. But you can start today doing this, right? And so what I have done this week is kind of made it a pattern in my life to try to, first thing I do when I wake up is pray my name for these kids of mine. Right? Before I fall asleep at night, just quick prayers. If, as I think about one during the day or if I text one, that I pray in that moment. Uh, and it's just a reminder. And I need to do this. And if you're single, you're like, oh, I don't have kids. I don't know if I'm ever gonna get married. Do you have brothers? Do you have sisters? Do you have nieces? Do you have nephews? You can pray for the kids that are back in that nursery or will be in a few weeks. You can pray for the kids in the neighborhood. There's all sorts of opportunities for you to impact in this way. I think it's something we need to not be guilty about, but to say, hey, I can't change yesterday, but it ain't over till it's over. And so whatever a practical way to just remind you, maybe, I mean, every single one of you almost has a smartphone. Set an alarm at, you know, 9.33, boop, pray for this person. But if you're like, I don't have a smartphone, I have a flip phone, great. You probably have index cards knowing you, Mr. Flip Phone. So put an index card on your car when you get in. So the first thing you see when you turn your 1963 Nova on uh, you say, it says, pray for X. Or it's on the window in your, on the mirror in your, your bathroom. Just a reminder. It doesn't have to be 64 minute prayers. Just pr- it, it's just something that, that we need to be doing. It's one of our core values. It's one of our specs. It's the P that we're praying, right? And that we're believing that God answers prayer. And, and do it like he did. Put your hand on your kids. Put your hand on your grandkids. Put your hand, bless their, I pray you bless this, this daughter. That she'd grow up to be a godly woman, that she would find a man who's gonna love her and treat her well, that she's gonna be a great mom if you bless her with kids. For this son, that he would, that he would protect, be a protector, that he would be someone who fights for justice, that he would be pure, that you would protect him from the evil one, whatever. Pray for yourself in that kind of, help me to be a, a blessing as a dad to, this, to these children you've given me, a blessing as a grandfather, a blessing as an uncle, a blessing as a, as a big brother. Whatever it is, right? He prays and he blesses even at the end. And you can too. You don't have to wait for the end because it ain't over till it's over. Don't wait for the hospital bed for this. For the only time that your family heard you pray or bless them, don't wait for the end for that to happen, right? It ain't over till it's over. Continue. It's interesting because Joseph gets upset. He get, this is the only time in the entire book old boy gets upset. I mean, of all the junk that's happened to him, this gets his goad, right? Verse, 40, verse uh, 17, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. He's frustrated. He's mad. You tell me being in jail for three years didn't make you mad, but this makes you mad, Joe? Right? But he's mad and he takes his father's hand. He tries to remove, no, no, dad. Dad, I know you're blind. Come on. I, I set him up perfect for you, dude. Come on. He didn't know how to do all this. He tries to move his hand. 
And Joseph says to his father, not in this way, my father, since this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. And, and Jacob is, is gentle and he understands where he's coming from, but his father refused. He said, I know, I know. He also shall become great. Manassas is gonna be great, Joseph. He's gonna be a great boy. He's gonna grow strong. He's gonna be a great young man. But Ephraim is gonna be greater. The younger is gonna be greater. And if you go down the history of Israel, Ephraim is the leading tribe in the north consistently. Manasseh is there, he's big, he's got plenty of land, but Ephraim is a, is a leader in the north. He's gonna be a leader of the nations. So he blessed them saying, that by you Israel pronounced blessings, saying God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Basically, and Israel's gonna be like, man, I hope you, ro- you rock it like Ephraim. I hope you're awesome like Manasseh. It'll like be like what we say, I mean, I hope you play ball like LeBron. I hope you're as smart of a businessman as True Kathy. I hope you're as smart as Einstein. That's what they're saying in Israel. I hope, I hope, I pray that you'd be like Manasseh. I pray that you'd be like Ephraim. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. And so what's going on here? I know, and I know for us, the firstborn issue is just not a big deal. No one cares if you're the firstborn. That just means you have to babysit more. That's the only thing that means, right? So no one really cares in our culture, but in their culture, it's a big deal. Right? I mean, these boys, their whole life, they grew up with Manasseh saying, I'm the firstborn. Remember, I'm the oldest. I get the double portion. I'm going to be in charge of you one day. There's that culture there. That's what's normal. And so what Jacob is doing is he is going against the cultural norm, and he is going against what everybody else does. It's not the social structure of the day. And I think there's some significance there for us as I was thinking about this, that we, at the end of his life, finally, and Jacob has not done this his whole life. This is why he has four wives or had four wives because he didn't go against the grain. This is why he had to steal the blessing because he didn't go against the grain. Finally, at the end, he is going against the grain and he is not going with the culture. I think that's significant. And I would say for us, don't wait till the end to do this. Start today being, leading, going against the culture, swimming upstream, not downstream, right? Whether you're single, whether you're parents, whether you're a teenager, when you come to that fork in the road, as Yogi Berra said, you don't just take it. You say, which is the fork that the people of God take? What is the family of God? Which is the turn that I'm supposed to make with them? That's the fork I want. What is God doing? What is unique for his people, for his family? And this is hard, especially for parents, especially for parents of teenagers, because we all as parents of teenagers have heard this. Well, my friends get to do it. Why? Why are you the only parents to do this? Everyone else is doing it, right? We hear it all the time. We see it in singles, right? Well, we're just gonna move in together because everyone else is doing it and we're gonna get married one day, so why not? It's cheaper. Let's just do that. Or, you know, everyone else lies a little bit on their taxes. Everyone else fudges the numbers a little bit to get, get it a little bit more in the budget. Everyone else cheats. Everyone else lies. Everyone else drives like this, acts like this, talks like this, watches this. Everyone else, right? And Jacob has done that himself, but now he is saying, I'm doing it God's way. No, it's not normal. I know it makes you upset, Joseph, but this is what God wants, right? I think that's, that's significant for us to think about. And as shocking as it may be for some of you to hear this, especially young people, God's dream for you is not necessarily the American dream. I know that's a shock, but it's not. 
right? There's nothing wrong with success. I'm not saying it. There's nothing wrong with climbing the ladder. There's nothing wrong with being blessed financially. That's great. I have one of my children who has promised my wife and I that when he makes it, he is going to buy us a house at Tybee. And so I really pray for that child more than the others. <laughs> I don't really, you know, I'm a kind of, actually a play, Lord, I don't care about the other three, but bless this one more than that. Give him the double portion. But in reality, if your goal for your kids, I don't want my kids to be successful, but if your goal for your kids is the American dream, if your goal is they're gonna be a doctor, they're gonna be a lawyer, they're gonna be this, they're gonna be that, they gotta be this. What happens if God switches the hands on it? What are you gonna do? You're gonna be like Joseph? No. What happens if you have a goal? I'm gonna be, and it doesn't have to be like, oh, I wanna be a doctor or a surgeon. What if you say, I'm going into ministry, I'm going to the mission field, I'm going to do this, and God says, no, you're not. You're gonna be an engineer. Doesn't that sound exciting? Boop. What happens? So you can't have two competing agendas. That's the point. Because if I have an agenda that's I'm doing this and by 27 I'm gonna have 2.5 kids, a white picket fence, a labradoodle, and you know, a pickup truck. That's my agenda. If God says here, I have an agenda for you actually over here and it's not the same as that, which one are you gonna hear? You're going labradoodle. Right? Nothing wrong with Labradoodle. Although I don't know why you would mix a poodle in a lab. A lab is kind of the perfect dog already, but that's just my opinion. Uh, you're not gonna hear it. You gotta, you gotta choose. And that's the idea here. Right? Not, look, I don't know God's will for your life. And people ask me, well, I don't know. Should I, you think I should do this? I don't know. I'm not God. But here's what I do know. That God has called his people to swim against the culture when it's sin. That we are called to be different, distinct, holy, set apart, and that means going upstream sometimes. That means I'm switching the hands. Even if this is normal, I'm doing this because this is what God's people are doing. And I don't know, you know what, what your dream is, but I know this, that God's dream for your life is more important and that you'll find more satisfaction in that. I can tell you this from experience. This ain't my dream. I didn't lay awake at night saying, I just wanna be a preacher. I want people to rip my words apart and email me all the time and tell me some things. I just can't wait for that. Right? I, it's, I, I was an introverted, still am, introverted, don't like big crowds, certainly hate public speaking, want to kind of blend in guy. It's not my dream. My dream is to play professional baseball. Didn't happen. It's just close or that close. I don't know. The idea is, whose agenda are you gonna follow? That's the point. And I think for some of us, you need to kind of search their heart in that and say, hey, I've been doing this. I need to be, I, maybe I need to think about what God wants me to think, do, be, go, where, all those things. And you're like, well, man, I just, I'm 47. What do I do? It ain't over till it's over. I'm 146 years old. I got one more year. It ain't over till it's over. Start today. And I think, and this is, Something I said in the first service and I think something needs to be said. Some of you, and you made a train wreck of your teens and your 20s were not much better and now you have teenagers and you feel guilty about trying to give any direction to your teenagers because you're like, man, I did this and I was a wreck and I really don't have any, I, I was such a wreck when I was 22. I can't really speak into that because I was such a wreck. That is garbage. You are a parent 
Because God has said, hey, you, you've learned your lesson. Try to teach them before. You can't make them not make those decisions, but you have, just because you fail does not mean give you right to say, this is true, this is not. This is what this leads. It's an empty cistern. I've tried it. Trust me. Right? So you don't have to feel guilty about that just because you have failed, right? You can lead counterculturally. It ain't over till it's over. Let's continue because I am behind. There we go. 21. So Israel said to Joseph, behold, I'm about to die. And, and God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Wherever I've given to you rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from my hand, from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. He tells them a couple things here, but it's important. When he says in verse 21, you, that's y'all, that's plural. I'm about to die, God will be with y'all. So the family, everybody. God is gonna be with y'all. God is gonna bring y'all to the land of your fathers. Now I've given you singular this mountain, which we have no clue what this is. It's the Hebrew word Shechem. And it could mean one of three things. It could mean the town of Shechem, which is possible. It could mean a, a mountain, which is what Shechem means. Or it could mean double portion, which is another word what, what Shechem means. We don't know which three it is. The ESV goes with mountain. You know, the NASB goes double portion. It's, it really doesn't matter. The point is what he says in 21. It says, God will be with you and he will bring you to the land. You were going back to the promised land. Not you specifically, Joseph, because you're gonna die here, but your people, the one this book is originally written to, who are hearing it, who are in the desert, who are tired of manna, who are hot, who are like, man, I hate camping, can we finally get home? They are hearing you are going to the land. And how does Jacob know that? Because 100 years earlier, God showed up to a childless man named Abram and said, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna make you great and in all the nations of the world, you're gonna be blessed. And he said, how do I know that? And God said, let me show you how. And he, and he has, makes a covenant with him. He calls him to fall asleep. And he says, know for certain in the middle there that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They'll be servants there. They'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation, i.e. 10 plagues. And afterwards, they shall come out with possessions and then they're going to the promised land. God told Abraham exactly what's gonna happen 100 years earlier. All this Egypt stuff, and, and they're living it, the people reading it. And, and Jacob is saying, this is what my granddaddy told me. And I'm telling you, you're going back to the land. Doesn't feel like it. It's a couple hundred years away, but you're going back to the land. And the people reading it are hearing that and then are actually going back to the land. And it gives them confidence in what God has said because he's coming through in his word. And here's the third thing for us is that he, at the end of his life, is pointing people, he's leading people to be confident in what God has said in God's word. I think that's big. He hasn't always done it, but he's doing it here. Because trouble always begins when we say, did God really say? Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? It's the original, it's the original temptation of Genesis 3, the serpent and Eve. Did God really say that? It's the same temptation that Satan does to Jesus. If you really are the son of God, if God really does care for you, if you're his son, then, then feed yourself. It's the same old story, second verse, same as the first. God's not it for your best. God doesn't know what he's talking about. You need to go get you some you. And that's, that's where our culture is. And he looks back at his life here. He's probably reflecting on his life. And he's thinking about all the times that he screwed things up and all the times that he, things went well. And the times in his life when there was the most peace and there was the most joy and there was the most contentment, even in conflict, was when he took God at his word. When, when God has kind of the ladder that comes down and he believes God and he goes off with a new lease on life and he finds himself a wife. 
when he's back, headed back to the land and he's scared, but he knows that God has promised he's gonna live and he's gotta face Esau. Those are the times when he was most fruitful, when he took God at his word. And I know it sounds very churchy and very pastory, but that's okay. You can trust what God has said in his word. You can take his word to the bank. You can believe what he says. He is not trying to keep you from joy. Young people specifically. He's not trying to keep you from joy. I know that there's this idea, if I go off to college and I follow Jesus, it's gonna be a miserable four years. Who says that? That's not God saying that. Why? Because you can't get drunk and wake up in a gutter every day. That's, oh, that's a joyful, joyful. Right? God is for your joy. He is not trying to steal your joy. He is actually trying to lead you to joy. It is the enemy who wants to destroy you. It is the enemy who prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he wants to destroy you with sin. God is the one who's trying to rescue you from that. Right? So take him at his word. He knows what he talks about when he talks about money and sex and marriage and conflict and all the big questions of like, like why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, about your future, about how to have sins forgiven, about where you will spend eternity. Jesus has the answer. It's so important, especially in a time when you are getting so much garbage from so many sources, including social media and the news, that you know what God has said, that you know his word and that you trust it. You don't have to be ashamed of it. You don't have to explain it away. You don't have to deny it. Well, you don't have to be embarrassed about it. It's true. In fact, I, I came across a church website this week in this town. I was just doing some research. And their website, their doctrinal statement, their what we believe, their statement on the Bible says, and I quote, the Bible is not to be taken literally. That tells me all I need to know about that church. Right? And then and, and, and it went on to say, it's, it's to be interpreted by you. You get to interpret it and then you get to discuss it with your friends and then you guys can talk about what it really means. Well, what does this verse really mean? Every word of God proves true. How do you interpret that one, Mr. Theologian? Seems pretty straightforward. See, that, that sounds so nice and great. Everyone gets to interpret. There's no hope in that. There's no hope in that. There's no solidity in that. Jesus says, those who hear my word and they follow me, it's like a wise man who builds his house on a rock and when the storms come and the winds blow, the rock don't move. if, If I get to decide what's true, then every year the Eagles win the Super Bowl. That's true. I don't care who won really, the Eagles really won, right? They may have lost, but they won because I said it's true. That's how, it sounds silly, right? So, so is it to say, well, you know, God, God really didn't mean that. It's, it's absurdity. It gives no hope. It gives no stability. So how do I know what happens to me when I die? How do I know that I get to go be with Jesus in heaven? I don't, right? Because it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done at this point, but the, 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 it does matter what you do tomorrow. You can take God at his word. It ain't over till it's over. Here's Jacob at the end saying, God has been my shepherd. He has guided me through the wilderness and I've been the one wandering. God is the one who's redeemed me from all sorts of evil and I did some evil. And now Jacob saying to to Joseph and his boys, you can trust him. And I'm saying to you, you can trust him even in the chaos. All right, one more thing. Chapter 49. Uh, And I don't have time to unpack this whole chapter. This is the chapter where Joseph, Jacob is blessing the rest of his boys. And he's gonna say, you guys are gonna get this land. And he's gonna tell this guy, this is gonna happen to you in the future. Uh, He he gathers his boys, 
It says, gather together that I might tell you what's gonna happen to you. And at the end of the chapter, it summarizes it by saying, uh, which one's up there right now? Okay, there. He's, that he blesses them. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them. So he's blessing them. This, is, this chapter is this blessing of all these boys and just some high points. And again, he's gonna kind of unpack for some of them where they're gonna be. He's gonna say, hey, you know, Naphtali, you're gonna be up by, by this place and some of you are gonna be by the sea and, and, and other things are not land-based, but there's all sorts of prophecies of what's gonna happen in the future, right? And some of the high points, he's gonna talk to Reuben first because Reuben's the firstborn. He's gonna say, Reuben, you were the firstborn, you were supposed to get the blessing, but you had an affair with my wife, so you're out. Levi and Simeon, you guys have anger issues, right? After their sister, remember, she was abused. They went into the town and they killed all the men. So you guys got anger issues. You're not in charge either. He comes to Judah and everyone loves Judah. Even though Judah was a dirt ball and had an affair with his daughter-in-law and had kids and wanted to kill her, that's Judah. But remember at the end, he redeemed himself because he offered to lay himself down for Benjamin's life, a trade. I will substitute myself. And so he says to Judah, Scepter is not going to depart from you, Judah. Who gets a scepter? King gets a scepter. The ruler staff between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. One day, all the people are going to obey someone from you, Judah. Not you, but someone from you. Does Jacob understand all that? No. Does he know Jesus of Nazareth, Mary, Virgin? Does he get that? Not at this point, he doesn't. But we do because we have the rest of the New Testament. We have the completion of the story. And so when we see Revelation 5, 5, and the elders say, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered and he can open the scrolls. We're like, we know who that is. That's Jesus, right? We get it because we have the whole picture. We get the whole scripture that Genesis 3 starts. Seed of a woman will crush the head of the servant. Boom, Abraham, and you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Boom, and it's in your second son, Isaac, that all the nations will be blessed. Boom, and he's gonna come from the nation named Israel. Boom, he's gonna come from a tribe from Judah. Boom, he's gonna come from the guy named David. Boom, he's gonna come from a little virgin in, in Nazareth named Mary. Boom, and he's born Jesus of Nazareth, king of the universe, Messiah. And we get the whole story, but it starts here, right? Whether he gets it or not, we don't know, but we get it. And then it continues, and this is how the chapter closes. Verse 29, it's almost over. He finishes blessing his voice. And he commanded them saying, I'm gonna be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with a field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were brought from the Hittites. And when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, gets all up under his jammies again, gets up under his covers, and he breathes his last, and he was gathered to his people. Thus the last patriarch of Israel is gone. Not a perfect dude, and far from a perfect life. In fact, his own life, he describes, he says, my days have been few and evil. It's 147. I don't know how few it was, but uh, it certainly was evil a lot. Uh, but what's interesting about Jacob is he, he really does become one of the heroes of the faith. His name shows up all through the Bible, and it shows up specifically in the New Testament. Let me show you three places real quick it shows up, and then we're going to jump in worship. All right? just want to highlight these two. Uh, one time is in Matthew 8. Jesus is debating, I mean, is, uh, had just healed a guy, a centurion, a Gentile's uh, relative, and he says, I mean, I, have, I haven't found such faith in all of Israel. I tell you, many will come from the east, the west, and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So where's Jacob right now? Jacob is with the king. 
And one day, the king is gonna gather everyone from the east and from the west. You know who the west is? The west is us. You can't get further west from Israel than us. One day, we're gonna get to sit at a big old table. There's gonna be Abe, there's gonna be Isaac, there's gonna be Jacob, because he is with his king. Another verse, chapter 22. Jesus is arguing with some Pharisees and Sadducees about the resurrection. They deny the resurrection, and Jesus is affirming the resurrection, and he quotes Exodus chapter three when God shows up with Moses, the uh, burning bush. He says, as far as the resurrection from the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he uses the word I am, not I was, by the time God speaks to Moses, those guys have been gone three, four, five hundred years. But he says, I am the God. He's not the God of the, of the dead, but he's the God of the living. If, he was, if they were all gone and they didn't exist and there was no resurrection, he said, I was the God. But he says, I am the God. And Jesus is affirming not only the inerrancy of scripture, but he's affirming the fact that Jacob and Abraham and Isaac and all these guys are alive. They are alive. Their bodies are in the ground, but they are alive. Why are they alive? Last verse, Hebrews 11, Hall of Fame of Faith. The writer says this about Jacob, referring to Genesis 48, chapter we just read. By faith, Jacob, at the end of his life, in hospice, barely walk, gets up on his crutch when he's dying and he blesses the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. This one act of blessing these two boys as he's worshiping gets him into the hall of fame of faith, even though his, most of the rest of his life was a wreck. It just shows me how valuable in God's eyes your faith is. Nothing else matters at the end, y'all. Jacob's not like, okay, uh, make sure you have lots of donkeys and make sure you got lots of money and make sure you invest in your Roth IRA and make sure you do all that. At the end of his life, the only thing that matters is that he is worshiping in faith. It's the only thing that matters. All his mistakes don't matter. All his failures don't matter. All his successes don't matter. Only thing that matters is his faith. And guess what only matters to him now, 4,000 years later, where he put his faith. No one cares about his donkeys. They care about his faith. And so the last thing is this. Don't wait till it's too late. Today be a worshiper in faith. Because it ain't over till it's over, but once it's over, it's over. It's done. And there's no second opportunities. The most important thing you can pass off to your kids, to the families that come behind you, is your faith. It's not your cars, it's not your house, it's not your Tybee house, it's nothing but your faith. It is the only thing that will last. That your faith in the, in the Son of God, that you are a worshiper of the triune God, that you believe in the one who came from, he was a better Adam, he came from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, Mary, Jesus of Nazareth. You have put your faith in him, the one whom the scepter shall not depart from him. He will rule forever. The people will be obedient to him. Everybody, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and he shall reign forever and ever. Right? And it's never too late until it's too late. It ain't over until it's over. Right? Your eternity, your eternity will be based on what you do with Jesus of Nazareth. Period, end of story. And it is not too late until it's too late. The thief on the cross, it wasn't even too late for him. And in the end, today you will be with me in paradise. And so I would say to you, whether you're old or young, what are you waiting for? If you have not put your faith in Christ today, the writer of Hebrews says, today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Believe today in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
And if you have questions about that, man, come grab us. We'll talk to you about that. We'll explain the gospel, the good news that you were a sinner separated from God, that he died on a cross in your place for your sins and rose again and how you can have eternal life and hope because of what he has done. Man, we would love to have a coffee or anything with you, but don't wait because you don't know when it's over. You may not have the hospice bed. It might be on the Truman. You just don't know, right? But it's not over till it's over. So we wanna be praying and blessing. We wanna put confidence in God's word. We wanna swim upstream and we wanna believe today in the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, I thank you for your word, for your truth. I thank you for men like Jacob who were far from perfect but modeled faith and they finished well. And I pray that we would be a church that finishes well. I pray that we would be confident in what you have said. I pray that we would be blessing and praying for those around us, that we would swim against the culture where it's necessary, where it's not in line with what you're doing, and that we would be men and women of faith, that we would worship in faith. Thank you for the privilege to do so together this morning. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.